At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome to another edition of the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and on Simul TV. If you'd like to send me an email, same email for the past 30 years, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. Now, to find out about the programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the Exxon TV channel programming on Simul TV, visit simultv.com. And in the search engine, simply put, Exxon. Exxon Nation, my guest uh, this hour is Corey Washington, and I had the pleasure of having Corey on a few years ago. Now, Corey is originally from New York City. He is an educator, author, and music historian currently in Augusta, Georgia. He holds both a bachelor's and master's degree in the education from Augusta State University. He has written two books on Jimi Hendrix, Nobody, Care, uh, Nobody Cages Me and Jimi Hendrix, Black Legacy. And he has also represented the Hendrix estate at two induction ceremonies. Joining me now is Corey Washington. And Corey, welcome back to the Exxon. Thanks a lot, Rob. Glad to be back. Hey, uh, Corey, what drew you to write two books about uh, Jimi Hendrix? Well, it was kind of interesting because uh, growing up, I didn't really know much about Hendrix at all. Mm -hmm. It was a, actually a wrestling show that hit me to Hendrix uh, full time, which uh, was Hulk Hogan. Oh my gosh! Come yeah. to the ring, yeah, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, come to the ring with a Jimi Hendrix song, and once I heard that, I was my interest was peaked, and it was like from that point on, I just kept doing more and more research on Jimi Hendrix. 
Jimi Hendrix, one of the all-time best guitarists ever. Man, that right. guy could get a guitar to sing on its own without any vocal backups. Right, definitely. Uh, it's amazing what he was able to do, oh. whether it was a, a right-handed guitar, a left-handed guitar, because if it was right-handed, he'd just flip it upside down and play it. He didn't care. Man, I, I often wondered, how in the name of heaven does he do it? He was just fantastic. Well, let me ask you, Corey, right. what drew you to write two books on Hendrix? Well, the first one I wrote was in 2010. Mm -hmm. It was called Nobody Cages Me. And it was kind of like an introductory book. Um, it was mainly uh, based on a research paper I did when I was in college because I was always con uh, interested in how was it that this guy who was an African-American was so great at what he did, why wasn't he more well-known in the African-American community? So I wanted to know the ins and outs of that. And so... Based on my research, mm -hmm. I was propelled to write a book on that, uh, Nobody Cages Me, which was taken from one of his quotes where he felt that he couldn't be boxed into any kind of genre or category. And so that was the first book. And that book actually opened up so many doors for me to meet so many people that knew him. And, and I just compiled all of his research that I wanted to do an even more comprehensive book, which was Jimi Hendrix's Black Legacy. Uh, where I've interviewed quite a number of people and just dug deeper into his legacy in the black community and put forth this um, notion that Jimi Hendrix, you may not think that he was big in the black community, but he his influence was so pervasive that it touched the black community in many aspects. Uh, you know, uh, what separates Jimi from all other guitarists? Hmm. I would say one of the things that separates him other than his uh, natural God-given ability was the fact that he was able to branch out into so many genres. Mm -hmm. I think that he was a musician that was courageous and adventurous, and, and it, it, was, it was almost like his tentacles just reached into so many different places where these other guitarists, you know, they might reach a few places, but Jimmy was all over the place. You know, uh, Jimmy passed away, I believe it was September 18, 1970. And, and yet right. here we are still talking about him 50 years after his death. Why? It's probably one of the reasons I would think mm -hmm. is um, not only is he a great guitarist, like you said, but in the 70s, early 80s, it started, interest started to wane a little bit for some people. And it, it was, I believe, Alan Douglas was uh, over his music in the 70s and so forth and had some controversial um, albums that he mm -hmm. put out where he used different musicians and so forth. But it was a resurgence in the late 90s when um, his estate was turned over to his father and stepsister, uh, Janie Hendrix. And it was like this whole wave of, of publicity and new releases. It's just started to take the world by storm. So right. all of these people like me that didn't get to experience Jimmy in the 60s and 70s, they experience him anew. And so it's just like it's been recycled. So now it's like, it's from that point on, it's mm -hmm. continuing. And I mean, they just had a couple of new releases out uh, recently with the groovy songs for groovy children with the band of gypsies. Well, I'll tell you something. Great songs never die. Right. You know, and uh, certainly Jimi Hendrix has, has a great number of them. But 
In your opinion, uh, Corey, why hasn't Jimi Hendrix not been fully accepted in the black community? I would say some of it was marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wasn't really marketed to the black community um, when he was alive. Uh, You know, things like Soul Train hadn't really been fully formulated. Uh, he wasn't, he didn't have like the R&B acts backing him up when he became famous. Um, right. A lot of people might have felt like his music wasn't dance floor worthy in the black community. Um, they they could have been, uh, a lot of black people in the community could have been conservative and they could have been freaked out by his psychedelic appearance or, you know, oh man, it's the drug thing. You know, some it was all sorts of reasons that I found out that he may not have been accepted. But, you know, once you start digging away, you'll find that a lot of black people in the black community really did, did, did dig Jimi Hendrix. And it just kind of needs to be, the layers need to be pushed back a little bit. You know, when it comes to music as well as everything else in life, in my humble opinion, uh, Corey, whether you're black American, whether you're white American, whether you're green Canadian or whatever, you're, you're still a human. And I think right. that people like Jimi Hendrix and, uh, you know, Smokey Robinson and, and the other greats, including Michael Jackson, tried to break that barrier th- with their music and, and, and show people that no matter who you are, we're all together. Right, definitely. And uh, it's interesting you bring up Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, who definitely smashed barriers. Uh, another person I bring out in my book is uh, Prince. Another great who, artist. Uh, Right. He started off maybe in the disco funk type realm and then he branched off into some rock mm-hmm. and he just he had, uh, you know, just like Jimi Hendrix, he had so many genres, but he was finally able to break through in the 80s uh, with Michael Jackson with the Purple Rain soundtrack. And, you know, I feel like if Jimmy would have lived longer, you know, he could have had something similar to a thriller or Purple Rain, or maybe collaborated with some of these artists and branched out so, so somewhat. You know, I, b- I believe, Corey, that we all are put here for a reason, and that when our objective has been completed, we're given time to either stick around or hop back on the soul train, so to speak, and come around for the next uh, the next tour of duty at what we're supposed to do. So I, I, after listening to Jimi Hendrix over the years and admiring his musical talent and the way he played guitar, man, I'll tell you something. He has touched more hearts and inspired more guitarists than I think we'll ever know. So, Corey, please stand by. You and I have to take our first break. And Exonation, if you'd like to find out more about my guest this hour, Corey Washington, visit his site at www.jimibl.com. This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Here's something that we just uh, did today. Starting this weekend, you'll be able to pick up your iPhone or your home nest for Amazon Alexa and say, hey, Alexa, play the X-Zone radio show. There you go. Another another feather. Thanks to the people here at Relmar. Corey Washington and I return on the other side of this break. Whatever you do, don't go away.
what I call guitar playing. Hmm. One of the greats. My guest this hour is Corey Washington, and uh, Corey's website is jimibl.com. Um, first of all, thanks for being on the show, and congratulations on your two books, Corey. Oh, thanks a lot. Uh, definitely, thanks. Hey, hey, Corey, what are you doing as an author, a speaker, and, and all the work that you do, as well as a music historian, to to help educate people about Jimi Hendrix. Well, as far as the uh, presence on uh, social media, mm-hmm. um, as you can probably imagine, there's so many discussions that pop up uh, where a lot of misinformation is always spread. And at any point in time that I could um, enlighten people based on my research from the facts, I do that, um, as well as um, just going to uh, a lot of young kids interest, are interested in Jimi Hendrix. Uh, as a teacher, as a school teacher, I'm able to enlighten and mm-hmm. educate them as well. Um, you mentioned how Jimi Hendrix, his music never dies out. You know, I've just recently, as a couple days ago, they were kids in a classroom just talking about Jimi Hendrix. Wow. His name pops up quite often. Jimi Hendrix's uh, death was rather, co- you know, controversial, uh, Corey. What, was he murdered? Personally, I, would, I think that he was murdered. Uh, I think what probably got me was knowing that the... Uh, how much wine they said was on the premises Mm -hmm. of his death. And when they told me what his blood alcohol content level was, it sounded kind of fishy because it it didn't match up with how much wine they said that he regurgitated and so forth, you know, choking on his own vomit. and, and, And that's just the forensics of it. But if you just cut through the forensics and just look at the circumstances Mm -hmm. surrounding all of shady and fishy people that all of a sudden started dropping dead after Jimmy died. His um, manager, who was a prime suspect, Mike Jeffrey, dying in a mysterious plane crash. They never really found the body. Hmm. Um, Monica Daneman, many years later, the last person to see him alive, uh, she supposedly committed suicide, another fishy situation. Devin Wilson, uh, one of his girlfriends, one of his main girlfriends supposedly fell off a roof or somewhere in New York at a hotel, and some say she was pushed. You know, there's just all of these weird... I mean, everything that you can think of with the JFK situation, you can think of with the Jimi Hendrix murder. You know, I was just thinking that as you said it. There is a lot of similarities. So so why do you think that Jimi Hendrix would have been murdered? Like He, he wasn't... He wasn't one of the guys that was involved with the mob. He, he didn't have a lot of enemies that, that we knew of. So in your opinion, why do you think if he was murdered, he was murdered? 
Well, you have a couple of trains of thought here. I guess I can first start with the uh, manager, Mike Jeffrey. Okay. You mentioned he didn't have any mob ties, but his manager actually did. I think it was Club Salvation in New York. It was a mob club. Uh, Jimmy had to play that club a few times and came in the counter with uh, mob types. Hmm. Uh, Jimmy was actually kidnapped um, and supposedly mysteriously rescued by his manager and his cronies. You know, shady things like huh. that. Uh, you're in uh, Canada, you know, the Toronto incident where so all of a sudden these drugs are planted on him. Yeah. All of these things were done to control him, you know. So that was one thing. But his manager actually had a policy on him. And Jimmy was about to sever ties with his manager, Mike Jeffrey. And his manager was stealing a lot of his money and putting it in offshore accounts. And so when the hands changed from one manager to the other, they were going to have to open up the books and they would probably discover so many different shenanigans going on uh, financially that this guy, Mike Jeffrey, would have definitely been in trouble. And so what's the quick way to get out of that is uh, dispense of Jimi Hendrix. You know, that's one train of thought. Okay. But then you can go into the other train of thought, which goes into the U.S. government, the CIA, and all of these other people, you know, wanting to silence Jimi Hendrix with the COINTELPRO. Um, there was uh, with this, uh, the rise of the Black Messiah. Jimi Hendrix was bringing a lot of people together, white people, black people, all persuasion. Um, the Star Spangled Banner that he did, mm -hmm. a lot of people within the government didn't like that. I mean, all of these things add up to, you know, what we think of Jimi Hendrix as a great talent, but... He made some people at the very top levels of government look, cause, you know, look at him a certain way. So let's just put it like that. Wow. Tell us about the push to induct Jimi Hendrix and the Band of Gypsies into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, this first started, uh, I think, um, Jimi Hendrix was set to be inducted as a solo artist in the mm -hmm. um, R&B Hall of Fame in Detroit. I think this happened in 2016. And I contacted the uh, director, which was Lamont Robinson, and um, wanted to be a part of this. And so I was able to uh, speak with the uh, estate, Janie Hendrix, and they were supposed to be there to pick up the award or accept on his behalf, but due to a scheduling conflict, uh, I was able to fill in for them. And one of the things that I was trying to push for uh, was for not just Jimmy to be inducted into the uh, R&B Hall of Fame, but also the Band of Gypsies, because that group was just such a great group and had a, such an impact on music. And so what happened was, they didn't get inducted that year in 2016, but three years later, the Band of Gypsies did get inducted into the R&B Hall of Fame in 2019 in Detroit. And uh, that was a great experience. And so the push is for, since Jimmy is already inducted as a solo artist in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to recognize Jimi Hendrix, Buddy Miles, and Billy Cox as the band of Gypsies in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because Buddy Miles is not in, and Billy Cox is not in, because if they would have waited a couple years later, mm -hmm. he could have been inducted with the uh, Jimi Hendrix experience.
As a historian, music historian, what are the major changes that you are noticing in the music industry these days, uh, Corey? I would say the biggest, uh, well, not the biggest, but one of the things that jump out at me is probably the streaming aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, If you Mm -hmm. listen closely, you're starting to see a lot of these uh, newer artists. You're starting to hear them talk about they've broken the Beatles record or Elvis record or this other legends record. And when you investigate it, they didn't really sell the same amount of records, physical records that they sold. They're getting credit for streams. And, and if you think about it, you know, there's just so much shady stuff that goes on with these streams that, it's really hard to keep a hold of, like, are they actually, you know, reaching that many people? It's very hard. The analytics can be manipulated in many, many ways. Right, because if if anybody that uses uh, any of the streaming, like uh, Spotify or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, you could be listening to one of your favorite artists, and all of a sudden they they push another artist in there on you that you don't want to listen to at all. Yeah. And, you know, if you've already got so many skips and you, you either have to listen to this artist or you have to cut it off. And so just imagine how many uh, people they're doing that to all over the world, the, the millions and billions of people all over the world. So it's almost like they're forcing your hand, forcing these other artists to get these uh, credits for these songs. So that's that's one of the things that's very alarming, you know, to me anyway. When you look back in time, my friend, uh, and we, you know, we... We look at Hendrix, we look at Smokey Robinson, we look at the Beatles, we look at the Rolling Stones. These guys worked their butts off to get right. where they were today. They just didn't sit behind a desk. Oh, that's what I call music. Mm. Many memories listening to Hendrix in Montreal at the different uh, pubs that I used to frequent. <clears throat> Let's just leave it at that. Our guest is our Corey Washington. His website is jimibl.com. That's jimibl.com. First of all, Corey, great having you back with us. Congratulations on all that you do. But you're, you're an author. You're an educator, you're a music historian, and you're also an independent publisher. And I have to ask you, Corey, in today's world of digital publishing and the depletion of the brick-and-mortar stores, what's it like to be an independent publisher? I would say the hardest part about being an independent publisher Mm -hmm. would be the marketing aspect because, I mean, that can become quite pricey. Yeah. And if it's not quite pricey, it can become quite time-consuming for you to do it all on your own. And that's probably has has been the hardest part because there's just so many people out there to reach. Uh, you, you know, your target audience, and you know, once you start to 
do your social media thing, mm-hmm. and once you've used up that scope, how do you go beyond that? You probably have to spend some dollars to reach people that is, that's not in your immediate circle. And contrary to public belief, publishers do not make a lot of money on their product. Right, because you have to factor in yeah. the um, the books as far as royalties. If you're getting a royalty for your book, you're, you're going to be getting paid less money as far as, you know, per book. But if you, you know, publish a, or, you know, go out and get a bunch of uh, it up, you can get a better margin on it that way. But once again, it's more of a cost factor. You're you're becoming more of an entrepreneur because you're taking that risk and getting these books printed up. So um, people have to realize that. That's right. And, uh, you know, people say, well, I've got my book on, on Amazon. And I say, yeah, so? Well, well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm going to make a lot of money. Why do you think that? Well, because it's on Amazon. And who are you telling about your book being on Amazon? Well, I don't have to because it's on Amazon. You know, it's like, no, people really have to bust their butts. And my, uh, my hat goes off to you from, you know, from one publisher to another for the, uh, for the pain and the sorrow that I'm sure you've gone through trying to get your product out there because an independent publisher believes in their product. Nine times out of ten, an independent publisher is an independent author. So you've got to wear two hats. And uh, where can our, let me ask you, where can our listeners get your latest copy, Jimi Hendrix's uh, Black Legacy, A Dream Deferred? They can either go to my website, as you mentioned, jimibl.com, or they can go on Amazon, which is um, Amazon in the United States as well as Canada. They can get them from both places. Um, you can get it actually anywhere in the world on Amazon. It's all over, yeah. as well as Barnes & Noble, if you have a local Barnes & Noble, you can go in there and request them to send it to the Barnes & Noble in your local area. They'll send it there. I've even seen it on Walmart. You can go on Walmart's website and request to, to afford it uh, to be at Walmart. So it's really all over these platforms that, yeah. uh, that have probably some places I probably might not even know of is probably on there. You know, Corey, 30 years ago when I published the first edition of the X Chronicles newspaper, and it was distributed, and my wife and I were grocery shopping in St. Catharines at the time, and I just, uh, you know, we went up the aisle to where the newspapers were and the magazines, because that's where I usually bought the magazines that I would read, and lo and behold, Corey, there was our publication, The X Chronicle, Volume 1, Number 1. I, 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 I was thrilled. I had to yell at my wife, who was down the aisle, to come and see this, and she comes thinking that something was wrong with me. And I said, "Look, our newspaper." Hmm. And all the yeah, that's a thrilling, yeah. thrilling, a thrilling feeling, you know. And, and 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 she said, "Well, that's good." And I put it in the shopping cart. She said, "What are you taking in the shopping cart for? We've got about two thousand of them at home." <laughs> I said, "Yes, but I can buy this one." She just didn't get hmm. it. <laughs> I have a similar situation in Augusta. I'm from Augusta, Georgia. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, James Brown and the Masters Golf Tournament. Yep. And uh, we have a Barnes & Noble over here at the Augusta Mall. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's still a surreal feeling just to walk in there. You know, a place that I've walked in so many other times before and seen every other author's book and so forth. 
to just go in the music section and see Jimi Hendrix Black Legacy sitting on the shelf in paperback and hard, you know, yeah. copy. And, you know, you can tell all your friends, you know, you go to the mall and you can go to Barnes & Noble and get my book, but it's just a surreal feeling of just looking in. You almost, like you say, want to buy it yourself just to just take it out of there. Exactly. And, in fact, somewhere in uh, my files, I have that original receipt from the shopping from the from the grocery store where we bought uh, the newspaper but you must admit Corey that coming up with the concept for a book doing the research writing the book surpassing the writer's block that we all get doing the editing you know cross cross referencing it again once again proofreading it getting the artwork done getting the ISBN number or ISSN number Getting it out there where, to, where you are able to see it on the bookshelf. Man, uh, I don't think people will ever understand who haven't done that. What a feeling right. of accomplishment it is. Right. The uh, hours, like you said, <laughs> that you've taken going over it with a font. See, uh, it's one thing to be a, a semi-self-published you know, self -published author where you go to like Ex Libris or any of these other companies mm -hmm. and they do most of the stuff and your name is just on there. But for this last book, I truly was an independent publisher because I did everything yeah. from the editing, from the, um, the the design of the cover to, like you said, the ISBN, everything I had to do pretty much except for maybe formatting the inside you know, I outsource that, you know, let somebody else do that. Right. But, you know, this, this is such a tedious process to get it right and to get something, not just putting, because you've probably seen it yourself, you know, people do their own thing and then they put a book out there that looks like it's put out by them. I didn't want to do that. I, yeah. Even though I did everything, I wanted people to think that this was done by a company, not me, myself. It was done by a hardworking independent author by the name of Corey Washington. Definitely appreciate that. Oh, sir, you earned it. Um, what, other, what other projects are you working now on, Corey? Right now, I'm gearing up for March 25th, 2020, which is an important date for the Band of Gypsies. That's the 50th anniversary of when their landmark live album came out, the four concerts. Mm-hmm at the Fillmore East. Um, I'm trying to gear up a push for um, our, our Facebook page. We have Induct the Band of Gypsies into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm trying to put together a special video um, for that occasion. So if uh, your listeners can go uh, make sure they check out our Facebook page, uh, Induct the Band of Gypsies into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We've got a lot of interesting content on there. Well, listen, Corey, I'd like to make an offer to you, my friend. If you can get right. me that video, I will play it on the Exxon TV channel. Yeah, I can do that. And I'll tell you why. Just in Los Angeles alone, we, are, we have the ability of going into more than 5.8 million homes. That's just in mm. L.A. And we're around the world. So if you could get me a copy of that, that file in an MP4, MP4 format, I would be honored to help you push that uh, that um, that cause of getting the gypsy band inducted. All right, I'll definitely do that. Now we got to put a little more spunk into it now, just to make sure it's right. 
Uh, hey, coming from you, I'm sure it will. Um, all right, so you've got that project. You must be very busy at school these days. And and uh, let me see. What other history are you checking into as a music historian? Uh, let's see. As far as um, the musical history, I also cover um, anything as far as hip-hop um you know, a lot of people don't connect Jimi Hendrix with hip-hop, but in my book, I, I outline that, um, the jazz aspect with Miles Davis mm -hmm. and how Jimmy was at the early forefront of the jazz fusion movement. Um, of course, R&B, you know, people have, are, well, people are starting to know more and more about his early R&B background days. So I try to incorporate all of these different genres and, and look at it from a historical standpoint, and it all, the lines all draw back to Jimi Hendrix. So that I think that's what makes my book very unique as far as any other Jimi Hendrix book out there on the market, is I give close detail to um, not just, I mean, just, just one point here. Jimi Hendrix had a, a pop success on the pop charts, but he also had success on the R&B album charts and a lot of people don't know that. Well, let's talk so about I'll bring let's out talk that new information. Let's talk more about that when we come back from this commercial break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. My guest is Corey Washington. His website is jimibl.com. Welcome back. Corey Washington is my special guest this hour, Nation, www.jimibl.com. First of all, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. It's a great pleasure talking to you again. And congratulations on your newest book, Jimi Hendrix, Black Legacy, A Dream Deferred. Thank you. Thank you. What do your students think about having a teacher who, uh, who is the number one authority when it comes to Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> I tell you what, sometimes I don't even tell the kids that I write a book, but they always find out anyway. And uh, that, that kind of gives you a measuring stick of, you know, their interest. And these kids, they sniff out things, and sometimes you don't even have to toot your own horn. And yeah. they'll come up to you, hey, did you write a book on Jimi Hendrix? You know, <laughs> so I, I tell you what, they impress me with that sometimes. Uh, having taught for so many years and being an educator, how has the influence of handheld devices affected uh, the student-teacher relationship? I think that maybe when it first started, maybe there was some promise that this could be a, a way for students to become engaged. But I think as time has gone on and so much junk has been put on the phones, mm. it's become more of a distraction. 
And I'm pretty sure you, if you see people walking around like zombies with their handheld device, just imagine what they're doing in the classroom that they are in a subject that they don't care too much for. You know, they're, they're going to be attached to their phone at all times. You know, I've, I've had several conversations here on the show with different people about what I see happening because of the, the handheld devices, the smartphones and the Alexas and, and everything else like that, Corey. And the other day, Laura and I went out for supper. It was Valentine's Day, so we went to the local restaurant. And uh, I was amazed to still see people you know, using their iPhones, using their smartphones, instead of communicating with the people that are sitting there at the table. What happens, right. Corey, if there is a, a power failure or an EMF, electromagnetic uh, problem that just kind of kills the electrical grid, the wireless grid, the cell towers? How are these kids and these people going to be able to, to exist without their little handheld devices? I guess unless somebody's gone through that, they probably would be asking themselves the same question because, you know, if you get you, it's just like a you know a person that probably smokes a cigarette or does drugs, they get withdrawal symptoms. Mm-hmm. They probably start looking around and and you know trying to have to have something electronic in their hand. You know, but one time it was the TV, you know, maybe video games. But as I see it now, the handheld devices have taken. Uh, uh, precedence over all of those things. Yeah, it's it's scary because uh, up here in Canada, they've even stopped they've even stopped teach uh, teaching children how to write. Mm. <laughs> you know, come on. Man. You know, well, kids say, well, all I have to do is speak into my iPhone, and it, you know, it's called talk to text, old man. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I, but I also <laughs> know that if the power goes out, I'll be able to write a letter. Yeah, yeah. I think spell checks kind of uh, uh, pampered us. You know, I used yeah. to be a pretty good speller, but with that spell check, I see myself missing words that I would never miss in the past. So when we look at the state of, of the educational field, when it comes to the fact that kids are using or they're being allowed to use their, their smartphones and their other handheld devices, in your opinion, is it working? Are the kids getting smarter, or are they losing some of the essential communi- uh, communication skills? For the vast majority of them, they're losing skills. Yes, I. Uh, for uh, uh, maybe a few of them that mm-hmm. were probably going to be smart anyway, you know, they could use their phones. Like, as adults, you know, when we don't know something, sometimes we look it up. We yeah. look on our phones, we look it up on a computer, use Google, and but it it just doesn't stop there. You also have have to have a critical mind to make sure that you're looking at something that's of some validity and not just taking the first thing that you see on the internet. And so, if these kids can develop, you know, that sense, I can see where it can help them. But they're just kind of just following trad, uh, fads, mm-hmm. trends, and things like that, and it's kind of leading them down a path to a dark path, I would say. Hey, Corey, remember the old days when we went to something called a library that had those oh, yeah. funny things <laughs> called books, you know, that you could actually right. go in and read? And uh, we were talking earlier about self-publishing books, and I'll tell you something. Some of the self-published books that I have seen that have been sent to us by people who want to be guests on the show, 
Man alive, the grammar, punctuation, spelling is atrocious. Yeah, I mean, I've, here locally, I'm a part of a, a literary festival, and right. we get you know all sorts of people sending books in, and I see the same thing. So where do you think the publishing industry is going to be going, uh, let's say, 10 years from now, Corey? What's your gut feeling telling you? Well, at one time, I would think that things were going to go more digital and so forth, mm-hmm. but some of the recent um, facts and uh, figures that I've seen, they're trying to say that the um, books that you hold in your hand are making a comeback. So yeah. I think that uh, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting. I'm, I'm kind of torn, you know. I I also have book, my e-books as well as um, books you can hold in your hand, mm-hmm. but I think the books you can hold in your hand have been more popular than the e-books, you know, for some reason. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, in fact, we, I guess it was, let me see, uh, I guess it was around 2003, we stopped printing the X Chronicles just to go with the digital versions. And we're going back to print because of the, the, the requests of the readers as well as the requests of the distributors. And right. the cost of printing has gone down because they have finally decided and found the technology to use um, recycled uh, newsprint. So what the heck, eh? Oh, okay. Supply and demand. Yeah, as well. Two books. Is there going to be a third book? Um, if so, I would have to probably start getting my more, um, more, there, there's more people that I definitely want to interview, but mm-hmm. if I can think of a, a direction to take this thing in and nobody's taking it in, I'll definitely do a third book. But, you know, as far as it is right now, I'm more of an activist and trying to get things done on that and, you know, using my book as a platform, right. trying to get things done. In all the research that you did for your two books on Jimi Hendrix, what was the most amazing or startling fact that you found out about Jimi that you didn't that no one else was able to discover? Well, it was a revelation that Jimi Hendrix was actually doing quite well on the R&B album charts. Yeah. Uh, he, we all know his proudness on the uh, pop charts, but he actually had like five top ten albums on the R&B, you know, charts. Are You Experienced, Axis Bold as Love, mm-hmm. Electric Ladyland, The Cry of Love, and My Lord. Uh, Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, all of those were top 10 R&B albums. And uh, he had two albums that, that were on the R&B album charts for like a whole year, which was The Band of Gypsies and Are You Experienced. So no, I didn't see this information anywhere, and I actually mm-hmm. went on Wikipedia and updated all of, um, the things on uh, Wikipedia because of that. What words of inspiration do you, would do you have for any young person listening to us tonight who is contemplating a career in music? What advice do you have for them? Well, I would definitely tell them that um, if you can't be original, mm-hmm. you know, your career is probably going to be short-lived, but whatever you do, just don't, you know, risk your integrity for a quick buck because... You know, those type of people, if you talk to the people that have done that, uh, they're very unhappy, so definitely don't do that. And as an independent publisher and author, what advice would you have for someone who's aspiring to be an author? 
definitely count the cost, um, know your target audience, uh, and don't be afraid to, you know, think outside the box and make sure you um, put out something that people want to read. That's number one. Yeah. Corey, one more time, let our listeners know where they can get copies of your books. My website, uh, jimmybl.com, J-I-M-I-B-L.com, Amazon, all over the world, Barnes & Noble, uh, as well as Walmart. Corey Washington, it's been a great pleasure talking to you again, my friend. Continued success. I look forward to getting that MP4, and I will blast it all over our channel. So thank you for all you do, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet back here in the Exxon. All right. Thanks for all your help, Rob. Hey, you take care, buddy, and uh, my best to your family as well. All right. Thank you. Yours, too. Good night, sir. Exxon Nation, my guest has been Corey Washington this hour. Once again, Corey's website is jimibl.com. Well, that's it for this hour. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV. For all the programming information on the Exxon Broadcast Network and the shows that we have there, the times that were played, visit www xzbn.net and for the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV www.simultv.com and in the search engine type in Exxon. I'll be back on the other side of this news break at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour so don't go away. <laughs>